Well, it is Friday morning, January 21st, 2022, and we're coming to the end of this week's pastoral devotionals. We've been using Romans 5 as our jumping off point. And remember, Romans 5 that we've been preaching through on Sunday mornings talks about these two covenants that God um, has made. And the first covenant was the covenant of works that he made with Adam. And of course, the, the covenant was this life or death agreement where God agreed with Adam. Hey, Adam, as long as you obey me, walk with me, keep my commandments, I will give you life. You'll flourish. You'll have peace uh, in perfect harmony and relationships and marriage and worship and work. But if you disobey me, then of course, um, I'm going to banish you from the garden and you will surely die. And that's what happened. And by virtue of our union with Adam, the covenant of works, all of us have fallen into sin and death. So this first champion that God raised up, Adam, to, to lead the way for humanity failed miserably. But as we saw in Romans 5, God raised up a second champion, and God also made a covenant with him. And this person was, of course, Jesus Christ. And Jesus did what the first Adam could not. He walked perfectly, obediently. He died in our place. And just as we were united to Adam through his one sin, we were united to Christ through his one act of righteousness now given to us. And so what we've been doing here this week is just exploring this idea of covenant or covenant theology or federal theology or representative theology. We've been trying to understand how is it that once this dreaded event happened in the garden and Adam fell into sin, how was it then that God um, moved and worked and initiated redemption with his people um, to the point where he then introduced this new covenant um, through Christ. And so we've, we, we've talked about this idea that, that when we talk about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, or the Old Testament and the New Testament, both are part of a covenant of grace. All of God's initiative and work with us is a response out of his gracious kindness and love and mercy. And it's not about us earning salvation. It's about God securing our salvation. And the way that he has done this is through a series of covenants um, in the Old Testament. And so we've talked about the Noahic covenant. We've talked about the Mosaic, the Abrahamic covenant. We've talked about the Mosaic covenant. And now we want to talk today about the Davidic covenant and how this relates to the new covenant that we have in Christ. And so the covenant with Noah preserved life on the world. The covenant with Abraham promised that the descendants of Abraham would be a great nation and bless the earth. The covenant with Moses, the Mosaic covenant, um, called the people out of Israel and out of Egypt into Israel and gave them laws to live their lives by. But once the people became settled in the promised land, God raised up a king. And this was, of course, King David. And God also made a covenant with King David. Now listen from 2 Samuel chapter 7, um, and we're um, going to begin in verse 10 of 2 Samuel 7. Um, actually, let's begin in verse 8, okay? It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. 
and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. And as I took it from Saul, whom I put away, put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, David, Nathan spoke to David. So what we have here is that this is God's final covenant with Israel in the Old Testament. And he's again, progressively revealing himself and how his plan of salvation and redemption will work. The way God says that he is going to raise up a nation and bless the world and call a people to himself is by raising up a king, a king who will come in the line of David. And here we see in 2 Samuel 7 that God promises um, David, makes a covenant with him, that there will never be a man who fails to dwell on the throne of David, that there will be peace and um, and worshiping the glory of God brought to the world through the nations through the line of David. Now, here's the problem. We know that the Davidic line was broken during the exile, when, exi when, when, when um, Israel was exiled, Judah, to Babylon, the king was deposed, and Israel never again after that had a physical king reign upon the throne. How are we to understand this? How are we to understand this promise? Well, it's very clear how the writers in the New Testament understood this promise of a Davidic king being fulfilled. I want to look at a couple of passages here. The first is in Acts chapter 2. Now, as Jesus, um, as Peter is preaching about Jesus um, in chapter 2 of Acts in his opening sermon, I want you to see how closely the apostles linked who Jesus was and what he was doing to this promise or covenant that was made with David and how they saw these things intricately connected. All right, so look at verse... Um, 22 of chapter 2 in verse in in the book of Acts. P Peter speaking. He says, "Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up." loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh will also dwell in hope. For you have not abandoned my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." So, so here, first of all, um, what we see is 
Peter is linking, okay, the uh, the coming of Jesus to the promises that God made to David. So God had promised David that there will never be a man who wouldn't sit on your throne, that he would not abandon the line of David to Hades, that his line would not see corruption, um, that through David's line there would be the paths of life. And what um, Peter is saying here is that Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises to David. Now, there's many places we see this kind of language in the New Testament, Just, e but even flip over to the book of Acts. And here, James is speaking, and he's quoting from Amos chapter 5. And I'm sorry, Amos, uh, the book of Amos, uh, it's in Acts 15. Look at Acts 15, verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from a, from a vault. So in other words, again, it was the apostolic witness and testimony that the way God was going to move his plan of redemption forward to put a, to put a king in the line of David on the throne was Jesus. Now, obviously, during Jesus's first coming, okay, there was not a physical, literal throne. But we do know from the book of Revelation and from other scripture passages that when Jesus comes back again, he will appear on the clouds and he will establish his rule and righteousness and reign in the new heavens and the new earth. And he will be the ultimate fulfillment of these Davidic promises. Now, when we think about this connection between Jesus and David, we don't have to look very far, right? to see the intimate connection, even in the Old Testament, right? Um, so when we read in Jeremiah 33, okay, let's look at verse 14. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name for which it shall be called the Lord is our righteousness. So again, there's an eternal covenant with David. This branch is going to be raised up. Now, who is this branch? Very famous passage. Look back to Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So God says in the Old Testament, promises them this Noahic covenant, this Abrahamic covenant, this Mosaic covenant, the, this Davidic covenant. 
it's not so much that they're going to be abolished, okay, don't think about it that way, but they're going to be fulfilled. They're going to be fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ under the new covenant. Now, this new covenant is like the old covenant in that they are both a covenant of grace, but the old covenant prepares and points to the fulfillment of the new covenant which is why the writer of Hebrews says in former times and former days, God spoke to us through his prophets and through words in the Old Testament. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ, which means Jesus is the final word. Jesus is the final fulfillment of all the covenants. He is the new covenant. And as we place our faith in him and trust in him, we are also proclaiming that not only has he forgiven us our sins and made us his people, but that one day he is going to come back for us, that he is going to, to, to ascend in the clouds and we are going to rise from the dead and be given a new body and be unified and to reign with him. We see that in this reality, the covenants are all fulfilled in Christ. How do we receive the benefits of this covenant? by the perfect obedience and death of Jesus on our behalf. That's Paul's whole point in Romans chapter five. Death came through one man, Adam. Life came through the second man, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Now, as we get into Romans six and following in the coming days, Paul is gonna to begin to work out some of the ethical implications of this incredible truth that we were unified to Christ in his death and resurrection, but that will be next week. For now, that's it for this Friday. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you back here first thing Monday morning. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that we would walk away from our times in the Word this week with a deep, deep appreciation and reverence for this idea that even while we were lost, even while we were sinners, even while we were perishing, Lord, you accomplished for us what we could not do for ourselves. You raised up your son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, to die a substitutionary death, and to be raised into resurrected life. And so, Lord, thank you for that. We unite our hearts with yours and his in this, and we ask these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, everybody, have a great